15 and verses 7 to 11. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. And this is the law of God given to Moses for the children of Israel as a nation to obey. And it says, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of your gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need whatever he needs beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and he become a sin among you you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. I love this verse especially, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge, in every place I love that don't you you know thank he always leads us in triumph and it's in every place (laughs) which is wonderful verse 15 for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient for these things for we are not as so many peddling the word of God but as of sincerity but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ well thank you for following with me and uh, I'm sure you'll see the connection with those readings later on in our study in God's word we're going to sing now please take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's gospel in chapter 14 Mark's gospel in chapter 14 well, we're looking tonight at verses 1 to 11 
verse 1. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So something we hopefully don't see too much of in Bath, but in London, moped crime is becoming a big thing. Not only people driving mopeds up on the pavements and mugging people, taking their mobile phones and so on, but also shop raids. And there was a story in 2018 about a gang of young people who did a shop raid on a boots pharmacy store and smashed the door to get in this was after uh, closing time and they had these mopeds and they very quickly in a lightning move went to the perfume shop perfume uh, stall in the shop and they took away the perfume and made off on their motorbikes and they reckon that in just one small grab of perfume they took away as much as five thousand pounds worth of produce. Perfume, of course, is very expensive. Uh, I came across an interesting story which you may know, I, I hadn't heard of it before, but it was about the lady who was the uh, founder or the, the creator of the Chanel Number no. 5 perfume, beautiful smelling perfume. And uh, Coco Chanel, who lived in the 1940s, was uh, a friend of Winston Churchill's, and she had been friends with him before the war, but she lived uh, in Nazi occupied Europe. And she was very uh, in with the Nazis. And she was actually quite good friends with a number of them. Well, they wanted her to use her friendship with Winston Churchill to try and uh, bring about some sort of uh, uh, opportunity to get Churchill into Europe, perhaps where they could catch him. And they wanted to talk under the idea of uh, peace talk, supposedly. And he was supposed to come to Madrid to meet her. Uh, and her leverage in return was, I'll do that for you if you get me rid of the people I share a contract with for the Chanel number no. 5 
perfume that I've made. Because she, although she created it, she needed investors. Uh, and now she was only get 10% or 20%, I think it was, of what the whole perfume was bringing in around the world. And it was already famous. And uh, the Nazis agreed to do that for her. Well, Churchill never went to the meeting. And so it never actually came about. But I I just think of those two stories tonight. They have a common theme, don't they? Perfume and money seem to go together. It's a very expensive thing and uh, seems to generate people's uh, money, uh, pound signs before their eyes. Well, here in in Mark chapter 14, we have another story along that same line, don't we? Where there's perfume being used to anoint the Lord Jesus and there's the issue of money, especially in the mind of Judas Iscariot, the one who was to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And this story, which actually takes place somewhere close to Palm Sunday in the run-up to uh, the Easter events, is one of the ones that is often overlooked in the uh, Easter week of readings and scriptures. But it's a beautiful one because it was preparatory for the Lord Jesus Christ's death and burial, as he says later on in verse 9. And uh, sorry, verse eight. And it's a, a beautiful story which took place at the house of Simon the leper in Bethany in verse three. Now, Bethany, if you don't know, is on the Mount of Olives. And it was one of the places which in Jewish literature was where lepers could live. Uh, lepers couldn't live inside the city but they could live in certain air districts outside. And Bethany, and I think Bethpage as well, were two places where lepers could live. And this man, Simon the leper, had uh, the connection with the Lord Jesus uh, to invite him to his house. Now, we're not told what the story is, but you can be pretty sure if the Lord Jesus was involved and there was a man with leprosy, the Lord had healed this man of leprosy. And therefore, this man wanted to invite Jesus to his house and that would have been a great help to Jesus and his disciples uh, because it was right near Jerusalem at the time of Passover and would have helped provide accommodation for them. Well in this story here we see four things that happened when Jesus was at the house of of, uh, of this man and the anointing which took place uh, at Bethany. And I want us to see those tonight just for our reflection and our worship as we consider this story. The season of his anointing, the sacrifice of his anointing, the service of his anointing and the significance of his anointing. And may the Lord fill this room tonight with the fragrance of Jesus as we study his word. First of all then the season of his anointing in verses 1 and 2. Now, we learnt this morning in our study when we looked at Daniel chapter 9 about the amazing timekeeping that God has in fulfilment of prophecy. And one of the things that was absolutely going to happen was that the Son of God was going to die at Passover because he was to be the Passover lamb. But when we look at this story here, we see that wasn't on the agenda of the people who were trying to get Jesus killed. We read in verse 1, after two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But, they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. 
And the Jewish leaders were very concerned because of Jesus' popularity if they arrested him during the Feast of Passover when something like a million to two million Jewish people came and descended on Jerusalem, not only from around the land of Israel, but from around the world, what the Jews called the Diaspora, where the Jewish people go and live in other countries. Uh, They're scattered, as they say. That's what the word diaspora means. And then they come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, one of the three feasts there to attend every year at the, at the nation's capital. Well, they were worried that with so many people and Jesus' popularity, if they tried to arrest him at this feast, then it would lead to an uproar, uh, as they say there, which is uh, another way of saying we're worried there'll be a riot. <laughs> and uh, Jewish people get very patriotic and uh, very emotional at the festivals. And in Jewish history, there was often trouble at the, at the uh, feasts for the Romans, which is why there was a heavy Roman presence. So they didn't want Jesus to be arrested at this time. What they wanted was the crowds to go. And just as Jesus and his disciples were leaving, going back up to Jerusalem after the feast, they were going to say, oi, and arrest him then and take him and then have him crucified. Now, if that had happened then the Lord Jesus Christ would not have fulfilled the prophecies about him being the Passover lamb. And so God in his sovereignty used this incident with the anointing and Judas getting upset about the money uh, that was not going into the treasury because he wanted to get his hands on it, as we know from John chapter 12. He used, the Lord uses that to bring about the betrayal of the Lord Jesus and the crucifixion on time at the Passover instead. If you go to the other end of this chapter, verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. God used this event at this season to bring about his plans, even when they weren't the plans of the people who were trying to kill his son. And what I see in this is, is the, the sovereign hand of God in the affairs of men. And, you know, the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel, he changes the times and the seasons. And he is in control of the events of men. And men who think they are in charge and they are the ones who, who uh, will make things happen or not allow things to happen... God is the one who overrules in all these things. This is something for us to take great comfort in. You know, our lives are not in the hands of men. Whether they be our friend or our enemies, they are in the hands of the living God. And he knows the times and the plans he has for us. This is a comfort for us as well when we think about Bible prophecy. We may look at some of the things in scripture, things that the Bible says about the future, and we may think to ourselves, well, I can't see that happening. You know, that, really? Do you really believe that's going to happen? I don't see that's going to happen. And I just think about like the world finances moving to Babylon, which is what the Bible says will happen in Revelation 18. Most people go, yeah. Babylon, wow, in Iraq today, that's going to be the center of world finances. I don't think so. But God is able to change the times and the seasons. And if he says something, that's where it's going. That's what will happen. And his plans will be uh, fulfilled. So let's take comfort from this event uh, that God is in control and see how a simple thing like an anointing at a private meal can be the lever 
which he uses to turn massive wheels of prophecy and uh, significance for our lives and for the work of God. The second thing we see here is the sacrifice of this anointing in verse 3. Because we come to the actual event here and it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Warren Wiersbe has a little phrase. He says, ministry that costs nothing is worth nothing. (laughs) And uh, I think that's true. And that's true as well, isn't it? When we're thinking about giving anything to the Lord. Uh, You know, if we can give something that doesn't cost anything, it doesn't mean anything uh, at all. David himself said that, didn't he, about buying the, uh, the, the threshing floor of Aruna for the temple. And Aruna said, you have it, you have it. And he said, no, no, I won't offer God that which I didn't buy. That which didn't cost me anything. He knew if it was going to be worth anything, it had to be sacrificial for him. Well, this is what we see here in the giving of the flask of oil. And the lady who comes to him, Bethany, we're not told her name in Mark's gospel, but in John chapter 12, the parallel account, we learn that it's Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who the Lord Jesus often went to their house uh, in Bethany as well. And uh, this Mary comes with her flask of alabaster flask of spikenard and she pours it on the Lord Jesus' head. Now, there's so many beautiful little details here. Let's talk first of all about the oil. What is this uh, alabaster flask? The King James calls it a box, but it wasn't like a cardboard box or a wooden box. It was like a a tall uh, marble um, uh, jar, vase. Spikenard was put into marble vases which came from Egypt. And uh, this is what the alabaster was. And it was the best known substance for keeping perfume in, in the hot country of the Middle East. And what they would do is they would import spikenard, which came from India, from the area around the Himalayas. And they would uh, put it into spikenard uh, jars down in Egypt. And they would then make a very tall, long neck on this flask. And it would be sealed. And you used it once. This wasn't the sort of thing where you took a little dab every day and made it last throughout the year. This was something you opened once, and so you thought very carefully about when you were going to use it. Most, most young ladies would, of course, use it at the wedding, uh, perhaps at the death of uh, a parent or a loved one or something like that. But uh, it was very expensive because of the nature of the flask that it came in. And the spikenard itself uh, was an amazing perfume. It came from a bearded grass that grew in East India. And uh, the oil from this grass uh, was used to make this very costly nard. That's what it is literally in the Greek, uh, the nard. And uh, in, the, in the Greek, what we're told is that this, this, this spikenard is pure nard. So this is the good stuff. <laughs> this isn't, you know, the, the bottom of the range of spikenard. This is the really good stuff. Now you take that oil, that flask, and you have got a very expensive commodity. 
In fact, Judas, who was doing the maths in his head in verse 4, says, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii? Do you know what a denarii was? A denarii was a day's wages. So he's saying, why wasn't this sold for nearly a whole year's worth of wages? Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know any of, uh, any of you want to buy uh, perfume for someone for Christmas. Can you imagine spending a whole year's wages to buy per- That would be some perfume, wouldn't it? And it was very, very expensive. And this was Mary's. Now, we don't know how she came to have it, whether it was a gift from someone or whether she had saved up and bought it. But it was something that was very, very precious. And when the Lord Jesus was at this feast at Bethany, she bought this very costly, as it says there, oil of spikenard, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. This is not the time when Jesus was uh, anointed on the feet at the house of an everman called Simon in Luke chapter 7. That's a different event altogether and different reactions from Jesus and different everything. Uh, it's, it's the only similarity is he's anointed with costly oil. Uh, but this is where she anoints him on the head with this oil. And, and the Greek says that she broke this jar and it really means like she didn't just like snap a bit off the top she really just she she went over his head like you if you were to break an egg something fragile like that and just crush the whole thing at once she broke the whole thing and the oil just flowed poured out over the lord jesus generously all over him and it flowed over his head now, now, why did she do this? Well, we'll come to the significance of it later on. But one thing that's interesting is that uh, at, at the feast, often people would anoint guests of honour. And uh, it was one of the things that you, you often did to people, or, or sometimes did to people, but obviously not as extravagantly as this. But there's something significant about anointing on the head. You realise in the Bible, the only people who were anointed on the head were kings and priests. Jesus is both. He's prophet, priest and king for his people. And uh, there's a very significant thing in that element for the Lord Jesus. And he is, has this oil poured over him. And it was a sacrificial gift of Mary's to the Lord Jesus. And I think this is such a beautiful thing, you know, because there the Lord Jesus was. And, and he was in the place where he knew he had enemies. Thomas had said, let us go to Jerusalem that we may die with him. He knew the situation they were going into and Jesus knew it well as well. Yet here was someone who was pouring out their love on the Lord Jesus. Sacrificial love. It was so amazing. And I remember hearing a preacher say this once and I've I've never forgotten. He said, you know, when Jesus was in in Pilate's uh, praetorium and he was being beaten by the soldiers, whenever he took a breath in, he could smell that spikenard. When Jesus was flogged, he could smell the spikenard. When Jesus was on the cross, he could smell the spikenard. It was an act of lingering love that was going to stay with him and bless him for this time. How much that must have meant to the Saviour himself.
And uh, it was a reflection, really, of his love for us. Because, you see, what he came to do was to sacrifice himself and be poured out totally on the cross for our sins. His sacrifice was a total sacrifice. It wasn't a partial sacrifice. Like the giving of this alabaster flask of costly oil, it was all given for you and for me. And Mary's love was a a reflection or a a recognition of this as she poured out the spikenard on the Lord Jesus. And you know what, dear friends, it's good for us to think about sacrificial love for Christ, isn't it? You know, he's given everything for us. Are we willing to sacrifice for him? You know, the great preacher, Count Zinzendorf, who was one of the Moravian preachers, um, which goes back in church history. If you haven't, Google the Moravian church and the history of the church. It'll make you weep, (laughs) the Moravian revival and these amazing Christians. And uh, they would go out as missionaries to places in a day long before CT started and the missionary movement of modern days. And they would take their clothes and everything in coffins. Because they knew they weren't coming back. This is sacrifice. They were totally committed. But it all began with a man called Count Zinzendorf. And one day Count Zinzendorf was looking at a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. And underneath there was an inscription that said this. I did this for you. What will you do for me? And he was left with that. I have to give Christ my all. And that's what we should be ready and willing to do you know the bible talks about our reasonable acts of service in uh, romans chapter 12 and offering our bodies as a, a reasonable act of service a sacrifice to the lord and god wants us to live a sacrificial christian life for him i wonder if we're willing to follow christ faithfully it may not be onto the mission field it may be sacrifice in other ways maybe a sacrificial prayer life it may be that you you set your alarm clock an hour earlier to get up for prayer. You know, that's sacrifice, isn't it? <laughs> if you like sleep as much as I do. It may be the sacrifice of fasting. It may be the sacrifice of giving or being friends to somebody who most people just probably would, you know, oh, they're, they're a nuisance. I haven't got time for them. And reaching out for them. You know, that's a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus. When you did it for others, you did it for me. You know, sacrifice is what the Christian life is about. Uh, Lilius Trotter, some of you may know that name. She was a, a missionary who went to Algeria. But not many people know she was a famous artist and a brilliant artist. And one day, the uh, great art uh, critic John Ruskin saw some of her work and he said, whatever became of her? She went home as a missionary. Do you know what he said? What a waste. What a waste. Just like Judas, isn't it? You know, what a waste. But it wasn't. It was sacrifice to the Lord Jesus. May God put it in our hearts to be more like Mary uh, in this great act. And then thirdly, we see the service of this anointing in verses 4 through to 8. It says, verse 4, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, 
you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. Now when Mary did this act, the disciples got murmuring. But one of them in particular was the one who instigated the murmuring, and it was Judas. And uh, the murmuring there, the phrase that's used for murmuring, is a phrase that means a, a really deep indignation uh, about something. A really, this is a, just such a terrible waste. Uh, uh, you know, this, 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 this use of this, this perfume. And it, it was something that the Lord was aware of. And I love the fact that he came so boldly to Mary's defense and said, let her alone. <laughs> you know, that's how much he loved Mary and how gracious he was. But he saw what she was doing was giving her best. And he said, why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. You see, this act of sacrifice was an act of service to the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, your argument about having the poor, this could have been given to the poor. He said, you will have the poor always. And he's quoting there the passage from Deuteronomy that we read earlier on in Deuteronomy 15. You know, we used to see those banners outside uh, churches that said, make poverty history. Whoever invented those has never read their Bible. Because Jesus said, and Deuteronomy said, the poor you will have with you always. And the Lord Jesus wasn't saying, don't care for the poor. He taught about the fact that we should give to the poor. He told the rich young ruler to sell his riches and give to the poor. In John 13, 29, we read about how Jesus uh, was uh, uh, at the Passover. And when Judas went out, they thought he'd gone out to give gifts to the poor. Because that was obviously what Christ was in, in the habit of doing. Jesus himself said he'd come and been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor in Luke chapter 4. So Jesus wasn't careless for the poor. He was always having them on his heart. But he said that will always be there, but I won't always be here in body. And so this was a one-off opportunity for her to serve me in this way. And you know, dear Mary, she was always the one to see the opportunity and take it, wasn't she? She was the one who saw the opportunity of sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word when Martha had other things to do. But she knew that opportunity wasn't going to be there forever, so she took it. And Mary did the same here. This was an opportunity to serve the Lord. It won't be here forever, so I'm going to take it now. And she stepped up and did this great act of service, what the Lord called a good work for me. And I love verse 8, the beginning of verse 8. She has done what she could. Now, the Lord hadn't chosen Mary to be one of the 12 apostles. He hadn't told her to go preaching the gospel uh, or healing the sick or driving out demons or the other things that were the, uh, the, the power gifts given to the 12 disciples and then the 72. But she did what she could. And her thing was to give her perfume to the Lord. And this is her act of service. And you know what? That's what service really is all about in the Christian life. It's doing what you can. You know, I find sometimes as a pastor when I try and preach about giving, uh, uh, sorry, not giving, about serving the Lord and, and being active in serving, then that most people sort of clang up and freeze. And the first thing I get is, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. 
I want you to know God isn't interested in what you can't do. He's interested in what you can. She did what she could. What can you do for the Lord? What can you do? If you're not sure what the answer to that is today, then pray about it. Ask the Lord to show you, Lord, what can I do for you? That was a good prayer Paul prayed, wasn't it, when he was converted? Lord, what would you have me do on the road to Damascus? Pray that, Lord, what would you have me do? He's interested in your service to him in that way. And like Mary, see the opportunity now. You know, sometimes when I'm up here on the, up on, uh, on the platform and, uh, uh, and the service is here, I just have a little small, small voice say to me inside, John, enjoy it while you can. Because one day I'm going to be old. And one day I won't be able to be up here. I want to be up here. I want to be preaching. And I want to be up here leading worship and hearing you sing the praises of God. It blesses me more I can ever tell you. I want to take that opportunity while I can. You know, it says in the book of Lamentations, the glory of young men is their strength. Well, I'm getting weaker now as I get older. <laughs> and it's funny, you do feel, you feel your strength going more and more by degrees as the years go on. But I want to use what I've got now while I've got it. And dear friend, I want to say the same to you. You have an opportunity. You might say, well, I did my bit in the past. Really? For all eternity, are you going to throw away the remaining months, years of your life? Take the opportunity now while it's here. The opportunity is given you to serve. Don't throw it away. She did what she could. Let's be those who follow in her footsteps. And then finally, I want you to see here is the significance of this anointing in the end of verse 8 and into verse 9. The Lord Jesus said, She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And here's the amazing significance of the uh, anointing at Bethany. Was that Mary was doing something beforehand that would normally be done after someone had died. She was anointing Jesus for his burial. Now that was something that normally happened when somebody died. If they died a normal death, there was one group of people who you didn't anoint when, you, when they died. Do you know who that was? Criminals. And the Lord Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. Isaiah 53. And they took him out and they crucified and two other criminals with him. And they put him in the middle. Jesus wasn't going to get an anointing when he was taken off that cross, normally speaking. But Mary sought it beforehand that she would have that that he would have that anointing how did mary know i'm indebted to our brother brian for pointing this out to me years ago he said to me i believe she picked it up from listening to the lord's teaching when everybody else was busy she was listening at the feet of jesus to what he said and she put it together do you know in that room There were only three people who understood that Jesus was going to go and die. 
I mean, he'd been telling them again and again, we're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, they're going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. He told them again and again and again. But when it comes to it, they, oh, oh, what's happening? They didn't have a clue. They didn't take it on board. But three people in that room that day understood. Mary, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and Judas Iscariot. He was the other one. Because when he heard Jesus say this, he realised this wasn't a victory campaign in the way he thought of it, that they were going to go and conquer Jerusalem and kick the Romans out. And that's why, after Christ corrected him, he took the hump and went off to betray him. But Mary understood it, and uh, she anointed Jesus' body for burial. What an amazing thing that was. And Christ was cared for in every detail by this act. It's an amazing thing. And the Lord in return said this in verse 9, Assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You know what? They say there's two things that have spread over everywhere in the world. The first is Jehovah's Witnesses. That's true. And the other is Coca-Cola. They say you can go to places as far out in the desert uh, where you find a few tribes of people and you'll find somebody is still selling Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola salesmen are known for reaching out far and wide. You go into some of these tribes uh, in, in Africa uh, and uh, not unreached tribes, of course, but those who have been reached and you'll find Coca-Cola is there and very often you find Jehovah's Witnesses have been there too. But Jesus said there's a third thing that's going around the world. And it's not only the gospel, it's what this woman has done for me. And it will be told in everywhere where the good news is shared as a memorial to her. You know, that really, really was something deep in my heart when our first church I pastored was coming to a close. The church had been going for 12 years and in a series of events, the Lord brought the church towards quite a dramatic uh, end. And we had one year where we were praying for the future of the church before it closed. And as we got towards the last services, I think it was the penultimate week, we had a visiting speaker coming, somebody who'd been a great help uh, to us. And he was preaching the week before I was taking the last service. But one thing was niggling me. I had never preached on Mary's anointing. And here we were, we were in Arborfield Village Hall, and uh, in this little village hall, as far as I know, we were the first church ever to meet there, reaching the, in that village hall as a gospel work, and uh, reaching out to the people of the village. And we did uh, reach quite a lot of people, but nobody had heard the story of Mary. And I prayed about it, I said, Lord, I give it to you. This is what your word says. Now, I didn't say anything to the speaker, but you can guess what he opened his Bible and spoke on. The Lord was faithful to his word, wasn't it? You know, everywhere the gospel is preached, what this lady has done will be told as a memorial to her. It was significant. It was significant. And the Lord didn't forget it. And the Lord won't forget our acts of service to him too. And when we share the gospel... It is like the smell of a perfume, as we read in 2 Corinthians. So let's spread the fragrance of Jesus this week as we worship him this Easter.